It is estimated that across the United Kingdom alone, just in the United Kingdom alone, there are 60,000 war memorials. That's a staggering figure. And on those war memorials there are the names of those who gave their lives from the local areas and who went to fight for king and country. Thousands of those whose names are on those war memorials, they never come back home. And they're buried in the British and Commonwealth cemeteries across the world. And they gave their today. They gave their today so that we might enjoy freedoms in our day. Now out of those many different war memorials, I think there's one that is unique in all of the United Kingdom. And it's found at Westminster Abbey in London. And it was in 1920 that it was instigated and, com- and uh, dedicated. In 1916, a man by the name of the Reverend David Railton, who was serving as a chaplain to the British forces in France, and who was the son of George Scott Railton. And who was he? He was the first commissioner of the Salvation Army and the second in command to General William Booth. But in France he noticed a makeshift grave with a rough wooden cross and across it was written a non-known British soldier. And four years later he wrote to the Dean of Westminster to relate that scene. And that Dean was the son of Bishop Ryle from Liverpool, Dean Ryle. And he was taken up with this idea of the tomb of the unknown British soldier. And so a, a, a project was launched that there would be a memorial uh, commemorated and uh, dedicated in uh, Britain to the tomb of the unknown soldier. And thus the remains of four unknown British war casualties were exhumed from four different battlefields. And they were brought to St. Paul in northern France on the, 17th of, on the 7th of November 1920. And their Brigadier General L.J. Watt, the commander of all the British troops in France, at random, as it were, selected one to become the unknown soldier of the Great War. And two officers placed the coffin placed the body in a plain coffin and it was sealed and the remaining three bodies were reinterred in a local cemetery. That body was escorted with all the pomp and pageantry that the British Armed Forces could uh, bestow upon it to Boulogne. It was drawn by a wagon with six horses and followed by a mile-long military procession. On the 9th of November, that coffin was placed inside another one that had been constructed of oak from Hampton Court in England and it was then also put inside the external coffin and placed inside it was one of the swords, a 16th century crusader sword from the Tower of London collection. And it was simply inscribed, the plate on the coffin said, a British warrior who fell in the Great War of 1914-1918 for king and country. Her Majesty's ship Verdun, escorted by six warships, transported that coffin of the unknown soldier to Dover. It was greeted with a 
with a, a, a 19 gun salute, six warrant officers from the Navy, the Royal Marines, the Royal Air Force and the Royal Army uh, bore that coffin, carried it to British soil where it was taken by train to Victoria Station in London. So on the morning of the 11th of November, six black horses drew the carriage that bore the coffin of the unknown soldier through London's crowded streets. And it was decided that at the same time the king would unveil the cenotaph, the very same cenotaph that was the focus of national remembrance today in London. And that would be part of the funeral of the unknown warrior. And when the funeral procession reached Whitehall, King George V, he laid the wreath on top of the unknown warrior's coffin and then proceeded, proceeded to unveil the, the cenotaph. The king, his three sons, the royal family, the ministers of state, then followed the coffin through the streets to the north entrance of Westminster Abbey. And at the west end of the nave in Westminster Abbey, the unknown soldier was led to rest after passing through a guard of honour, a very unique guard of honour, which consisted of 100 recipients of the Victoria Cross. They sang the hymn, Lead Kindly Light. And King George the V then sprinkled soil from the battlefield into the, the, the grave. And so the unknown soldier was brought home to England and was buried in the soil from France where his comrades had lost their lives. When the coffin was lowered, they sang that lovely hymn, Abide with me. The text on the tomb is, They buried him among kings because he had done good toward God and towards his house. From Second Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 16. The British Prime Minister of that day was David Lloyd George, one of the, the greatest Prime Ministers. And he said, The cenotaph is the token of our mourning as a nation. The grave of the unknown warrior is the token of our mourning as individuals. That tomb of the unknown soldier in Westminster Abbey has been treated with respect and reverence for over its 112 years of existence. If you go to visit Westminster Abbey, you can walk on, the, on all the other uh, tombstones, but you can't walk on that tombstone. It is designated off, and no one is allowed to walk on it. Even the royal processions, the royal funerals, the royal weddings that have taken place there, they must walk round it. They're not allowed to walk on it. The royal family has especially honoured the tomb of the unknown soldier, I was very interested to read during the wedding of Lady Elizabeth, who was the, the late Queen Mother, and King George VI <coughs> in 1923. She paused on her way down the aisle and she led her bouquet on the grave of the unknown warrior in memory of her brother Fergus, who was killed in 1915 during World War One, She became the only royal bride to walk down the aisle without her bouquet. She had left it on the, on the, the tomb. When the late queen was married, her wedding bouquet was afterwards placed on the tomb of the unknown soldier. And thus, a whole tradition eh, has started and has been maintained even up to the coronation of Queen Camellia. Uh, her coronation bouquet was sent back on the 6th of May 2023 to be led 
on the tomb. So we have the, the, the tomb of the unknown soldier and around the side of it there's an inscription of course on, on the, the granite on the, on the stone but around the side of it what caught my attention was when I started to study this there are four biblical texts four verses of scripture at the top <coughs> is written the Lord knoweth them that are his and at the sides are written greater love hath no man than this and unknown and yet well known dying and behold we live and then at the bottom it says in Christ all shall be made alive could you imagine a national monument being unveiled today with such scripture inscribed upon it I don't think it would happen we have so apostatized as a nation and we are so woke as a culture that such could never be the case today but in that day it was and I, I want just to stop with you and I'm just going to pass a brief comment on each one of those texts on this Remembrance Sunday here in Analog to remind you of the truths of Scripture and the work of Christ because it's Christ that connects all of these uh, verses together. The work of Christ is the great captain of our salvation in saving his people from their sin. The first text is 2 Timothy 2.19 uh, from where we read. And it simply says there, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And it teaches us that a way back in eternity past, Christ knew us. In eternity past, Christ knew us. Now this is reference, and, and I never shy away from this, but this is reference to this great uh, truth of election. If you read the context of of 2 Timothy chapter 2, it describes the confusion and the doctrinal error that abounded even in the day of Paul and Timothy. <coughs> but Paul said, despite all the confusion that abounds, the Lord knoweth those that are his. They were written down in the book of life. The Lord knoweth those that are his. In Revelation chapter 20, we read that great passage of the judgment before the white throne. We read, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and, other, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. In eternity past, God the Father gave to God the Son an elect people, a certain number to save from lost humanity. And he was their representative. He was their captain. He was the one. He was their Joshua, their deliverer. And all that they should have done and didn't, he came to do. And all that they should have suffered and didn't, he came and suffered in their guilty room and in their stead. And vicariously, he not only was our representative, but vicariously he stood in our stead. In the stead of all of those that are his. Why? Why? Because they were chosen in him before the very foundation of the world. I've often read to you and preached from John 17, one of my great favourite chapters in all of scripture. 
the high priestly prayer of Christ. And Jesus is praying and he's interceding with his heavenly Father. And he said, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou givest them me, and they have kept thy word. Here's an amazing truth. God had an elect people and he gave them to Christ. And Christ, it is his work to manifest God's name to those same people. What a work of grace is the work of salvation. Tell me today, have you the assurance in your heart that you belong to God? The Lord knoweth them that are his. Have you that assurance today? I am his and he is mine forever and forever. What a truth this is. There's a second text. If you turn with it uh, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 13. Very appropriate text on Remembrance Sunday. John 15, verse 13. Jesus said to his disciples, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Here the Lord Jesus was teaching his disciples, if you're really my disciple, you love one another. Christians ought to love one another. It shouldn't have to be said, but Christians, the mark of being a child of God is that you love others who are the children of God. And Christ views his disciples here as his friends. In and of themselves. And without God's grace, they're seen as sinners under the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 to 10. But Christ chose these people out of the fallen world, out of the mass of lost humanity. <coughs> and he made them his friends. That's a staggering truth. Christ chose a certain number of people to make them his friends. And it was in the stead of those friends that his sacrifice was made. We read, greater loveth no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We've thought today of all of those thousands of young men. Even on the D-Day landings on the beaches of Normandy. They gave their lives for their country and for their freedoms. But there is another great sacrifice that we remember. And it's inscribed on that tomb of the unknown soldier. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and he came. And that little prepositional four reminds us that he gave his life in the stead of his friends. They should have died. They were condemned by God's law. They should have died. But Christ came and he gave his life in their stead. And he gave it freely. And he gave it willingly. Jesus said, no man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. There are many who in World War I, World War II were conscripted. They had, no, they had no alternative but to go when they got the conscription letter. And they had to go to the sign up point and they had to enlist and they had to go wherever uh, the country sent them they were conscripted the Lord Jesus he freelingly freelingly laid down his life 
And in that great battle with sin and Satan at Calvary, he gave his life a ransom for the many. You know, that sacrifice requires a response. It requires a response from your soul today and from my soul today. And what will be the response? I think we all respond when we see the pictures of the names of the young men who died in the beaches of Normandy. We all respond when we hear the bugle sound the last post. We all respond. We respond with a feeling of national pride and, and, and thanksgiving. But how do you respond to the gospel? The Lord Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for you. In time he came to die for those he made his friends. Look at that third text. It's found in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Because in time he came to die for us, but in life he comes to help us and provide for us. 2 Corinthians 6 and 9. It says, as unknown, this is Paul, and he says, yet well known as dying, and behold, we live. What Paul is describing here is the triumph of the ministry, the, the triumph of the gospel minister over adversity. But it's a picture of all the children of God in life. We will be tried. We will have to endure the pressures of life. We'll have to endure the battles of life. And yet we're preserved, we're, we're miraculously preserved. Unknown yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As chastened and not killed. It's God who's preserving us. Let me tell you today again believer, you couldn't live another moment unless God was preserving your life. He's keeping that little heart of yours and mine ticking. He's keeping us alive. He's the great preserver. And when you think of all of the, the, the battles that are going on in the world today, all of the, the conflicts that men and women engage in today, just take encouragement from this. In life he comes to help us and provide for us. Unknown, yet well known, dying, and behold we live. That fourth text, we'll look at it just briefly. That great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22. says, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So here we have the, the final Adam and the first Adam. We're all children of the first Adam. And because we were born of his generation, we were born with his sin and judgment abiding upon our hearts and upon our lives. And if you're still in your sin, you're still in the first Adam. You're still under the curse of the law. But as in Adam all die, even so in Christ the second Adam shall all be made alive. You're either in Adam or in Christ today. You're either saved or lost today. You're either on your way to heaven or still, still on the way to hell, to a lost eternity. Barring the second advent of Christ one day they're going to take your body and my body and they're going to put it in a coffin and they're going to bury it in the ground. 
But for those who know and love the Lord, your soul will be with him. And there's a day of resurrection coming when the body will be raised incorruptible and undefiled. I love those last verses on 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 51 onwards. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Thought of those graveyards in France, Belgium, scattered across Europe. But there's a day coming when the trumpet will sound and they'll be raised. Some to life eternal. Some to eternal judgment and damnation. They will be raised. I was at the graveside of Dr. Bill Woods yesterday. And as that great soldier of the cross was led to rest, we were reminded that his body is going to be raised again on the resurrection morning. What a day it's going to be. The tomb of the unknown soldier. If you ever get the opportunity to visit, it's a very solemn place. But in contrast, the tomb of Christ, it's empty. There's nobody in the tomb of Christ. He's alive. And he's alive forevermore. And we remember every Lord's Day, his resurrection, and we celebrate it every week. He's alive. And he's alive and he's willing and able to save all who will come unto God by him. His empty tomb is evidence of his triumph. The fact that there is even an unknown soldier in that unknown grave today in Westminster Abbey is proof of sin and proof of judgment. But the tomb is empty. And that's proof of the victory and the great resurrection of Christ. The general chaplain of the army in World War I was a man by the name of Bishop Taylor Smith. He was a godly man. He wrote a, a simple prayer and he called it the soldier's prayer. And the chaplains in the army would have gone to the men that were dying on the battlefield. And after telling the dying soldier of Christ's life and death and resurrection, he taught the chaplains to ask for a response from the dying soul. And to help them come to Christ in their dying seconds on the battlefield. He urged them to pray this prayer. Will you pray it today? Make it your prayer as we close our meeting. Almighty and most merciful Father, forgive me my sins. Grant me thy peace. Give me thy power. Bless me in life and death. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. If you pray it and are genuine and sincere in so doing, when you come to your final battle, You'll have one to see over Jordan and safely to the celestial land. That's all, please unite our hearts together and pray.